Yeah, I didn't have a holiday. Actually, I, I feel a bit snoozy now. It's like, I don't know, COVID, I managed to avoid it for two and a half years and then got got hit. But it wasn't that bad, to be honest. But um, I was just saying to Mike Rob before, it's like, you know, get up at breakfast time, have breakfast, because you still eat. And then about 10 o'clock, you want to sleep again. And then it's like you have lunch, and then in the afternoon, it's like, actually, it's quite nice. Just, yeah, it's like, oh, man, retirement's going to be good. But I think, I think I was actually the super spreader at the conference. So all our guys, you know, like um, Kath MacArthur, um, Pete and, and uh, Susie and Kath all got it, and I'm pretty sure they all got it off me, but then apparently the conference even said that it was a bit of a super spreader event. But when I was flying, it's not my fault, when I was flying up there, there's a lady sitting in the plane beside me, and she was against the window, and she was, had a mask on, and she was looking at the window, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, she's obviously a, a germ freak, so I better not cough. And, and so when, as soon as you have that thought, all you want to do is cough, eh? And it's like, don't cough, don't cough, don't. <coughs> and I thought, oh, the poor lady is sort of even caught into a corner. And then later on in the flight, I heard her coughing. And I thought, mmm, sneaky, you're probably sneaking home with COVID and you've just given it to me. So, uh, yeah, I've always wanted to make a big impression in a conference. So anyway, I've had a week off, I wasn't here last week, I feel really disjointed because I haven't been around, you know, and it's like, together, together, I mean, it's the second time in three years that I haven't made it to that, and I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me, you know, I'm thinking, right, I'm going to get up in the mornings, get down here and pray with the guys, I would have, that was my heart, I was going to be there every night, that was my intention again, and then it's like, no, you're in isolation, and I didn't really feel that bad, so it was, I feel like I've just missed everything, so if you went, well done, good on you, um, I will be there next year. See, I missed the first year. Dre missed the second year. I missed the third year. Next year, we're going to do it together. So everybody come and just support us. Oh, okay. Um, Banning, one of the guys that was speaking at the conference, it was, it was quite good. Uh, he said, when it comes to parenting, he says, you can never really measure your success in your kids' teenage years. And I, I know that when the subjects got put up, I looked through the subjects and I thought, oh, what do I take? And I, I noticed that um, Dre and, and who else, uh, Jordan, they didn't pick parenting because they've got young kids. Um, and uh, they could have done a great job, of course, but I thought, oh, I'll take that one. I thought, Mike's got all Christian kids. He's probably the one that should have done the, the parenting one because, you know, he's, he's next level parent. Come on. Come on, he's got pastor kids and musician kids and, and it's like, so I thought, well, I thought I, I better do it because I, I've got real kids. Um. <laughs> so anyway, parenting. I feel a bit like Dr. Phil this morning, so, you know, it's like teaching is not normally my um, thing that I do. So uh, here we go. We'll give it a crack anyway. And really, um, Ian Grant says that, you know, like, have you ever, ever heard of Ian Grant? Those that are a bit older know that he used to run some programs, you know, um, parenting stuff that he did. And, and uh, he said this, he says, I'm just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. And so I don't, I'm not up here going, right, this is how you do it because I've learnt, um, I've done it all correctly. I've actually learnt a lot of what my parenting by mistakes. And uh, I'd love to rerun it. The thing is, I am rerunning it. I've got grandchildren now. And so I can um, sort my mistakes out on my grandkids, which is awesome. So let's have a look. What have we got here? We've got parenting. And, and the first time this year, I'm doing my notes. My notes here don't mean anything because I'm doing them all off this here this morning. Here's parenting. Parenting takes about 18 years to finally figure out 
uh, to finally figure out. We are totally winging it through the, our child, children's infant and toddler years. We tumble and stumble through the, the uh, prepubescent, sounds like possessed, that's probably true, range of their existence. And when they began to morph into these esoteric half-child, half adult mutant humans, commonly christened teenagers, we scratch our heads and pull out our rapidly growing hair. Then only then, in about that time, they turn 18 and we feel 50 years older and an epiphany hit happens. It dawns on us that we may, just possibly, have graduated to mumhood and dandhood. So, how many people had training in parenting? You've done some form of training. There's not a lot of hands going up. How many people had to train for your driver's license? Half of you did. I wonder what about the rest of you. I'm a bit scared now. When I'm coming out of the car park this afternoon, I'm going to be very, very careful. What about for job? Who's gone to university? You've been an apprentice. You've done day courses and, and there's things that you've done. Now, this is like you're getting into it now. We, life is about training and it's about being ready and it's about being um, you know, good at what you're going to do. And then what happens? How many went, oops-a-daisy, we're pregnant and we haven't done any training? Probably all of us. We're like, oh... Okay, come and ready or not, we've got nine months to sort our stuff out, and then we've got this little human being that we have to do something with, which is always fun. Proverbs says this, in uh, Proverbs 22.6, uh, Train up your child the way he should go, and when he is old he shall not depart from it. Train. And then it says in the message, point your kids in the right direction, when they're old they won't be lost. I like that. Let's just say it the way it is. Point your kids in the right direction, and when they're old, they won't be lost. So we don't get the experiencing. But what happens, uh, we don't get training, but what happens is that we parent out of our experience. Is that true? How many people see yourselves doing what you're doing and go, oh my gosh, dad used to do that? Or, oh no, mum was just like that. Mum used to scream like that. Oh my goodness. I see a couple of people nodding. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to be owning up to that one. I never scream. Not a screaming parent. No, 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 no. What our kids are into, uh, what we're sorry we're into, our kids are into. And so if we're into God, our kids are into a God. If we're into the outdoors, our kids are into the outdoors. Into sport, kids are into sport. If, your kids are, if you're into cars, I'm not into cars. My kids have no idea how to fix a car because I never knew how to fix a car. So the law of influence is what we are is what our kids are going to be. So how many of you guys are thinking right now that, oh, shoot, I should do something a wee bit different? Ah, good on you. Even the kids are putting their hands up. All right, so, so did mum and dad look at that kid. <laughs> it's like, you need to change. Lee, sort of stuff out. And so, honestly, our kids will copy what they see. Here's my grandchildren. I've got no reason for putting them up except they're incredibly cute and I just want to show them off. And that's only six of them. There's another two coming along that are yearlings. I'm sorry, I'm a farmer. So, yeah, I understand that one. But our kids, our speech, our moods, our preferences, our quirks, our outbursts, our sponge-like kids will soak them all, uh, soak them all in and replicate them in their lives. And you can see that. All those six kids there... Just copy mum and dad, copy grandma and granddad. They just are like us. And there we go, there's my four boys. I never had any girls. We just did four boys. Kath was from a family of five girls. 
And then we spun it around and just balanced the whole thing out by having boys. And uh, I never got to have that daughter. And one thing I can say now as a parent, if you're a father and you have a daughter, there's a special relationship that you can have with your daughter. If you're a mother and you have sons, there's a special relationship that you mums have with your sons. Okay, we still have relationships with the the others, but, but there's something special about the opposite sex relationship and that with our kids and my boys have an incredible um, closeness to calf just because mum's mum dad's just dad but mum's mum and it's really special and and the thing is you know James is the one in the middle there he was our first one and he was so easy oh my gosh it was like kids man we've got this sorted this is fantastic and we were like you know parenting you know we, we were ready to do this parenting course right now I could have done this 32 years ago because it's like we had James and he was a model baby he was sleeping through the night at six weeks it's like this is fantastic and then 19 months later Matt on the right hand right hand side there came along and uh, he was the Whoo, shoosh, where did this kid come from? He can't be my genetics. And he was the, the, the hardcore, um, just independent, fiercely, um, he got a nickname Tazzy from, you know, the old Tazzy devil on one of those cartoons. He's just fast and quick. And now, before he was even two, he was you know, feeding himself. He was going to the toilet himself. He was like, mate, oh my goodness. And he was strong-willed. And it's like, okay, so we had to reevaluate our parenting, thinking, okay, maybe we aren't as good as we thought we were. And then Andy at the back there um, on the left, he comes along, and he's number three. Number three is always a dream, Dre and Hannah, always a dream. Number three is the easy kid. They come along, and they are easy. He, this Andrew was so laid back. He was so cool, man. He was just a chilled baby, except he had this... Um, reflux problem and so calf would spend all this time feeding him and just get him settled and they saying have to start all over again and it's like oh my gosh parenting sucks and so that was all right and then finally um we had a wee bit of a gap actually we thought well, let's have a three-year gap and then then tyler came along and tyler was one of those babies that was just he was just really chilled, just really easy. He's the quiet one of the family. The other three are all gooses and they're just all noisy leaders, um, fun, the life of the party. Tyler, he, he enjoys fun, but he's just the quiet one. And uh, just what I want to say there is that in parenting, we parent all our kids differently. It's not a cookie cutter. Okay, one, two, three, four. You all look the same. You all say the same. You all dress the same. You all look the same, you know, whatever. It is like we, we plan on being good parents to each one. And I don't know about you, I, I've seen that in, I guess, classrooms, where if you try and, um, I, was, I was working for Ag New Zealand and I was doing, um, just tutoring uh, youth, and they can be you know, anything from 15 to 50 to be fair, but if you try to uh, relate to the class as a class, you'd fail. But if you could relate to each one as an individual, you'd win their respect and their support and they would be just fantastic on the course. And so I learned that very quick. And so the same thing with parents. You parent each one according to their personality. Um. There was... These guys come up with some ridiculous things. Hey, hey, let's take a picture of us all just looking out the door sideways. And so you, you just think how tricky that shot was. You can see a bit of strain on their faces because they were all just 
balancing sideways. So I mean, this is the sort of fun that we had. As four boys, we had a lot of fun. Okay, now these are the four, the, um, four steps of parenting. This, this helped me hugely because then I saw something in this here that I realized that, okay, here's a principle going on here that we can learn. And so the first one is, is um, the discipline years. And the child's primary need is control. To learn that there are both boundaries and consequences. These are the years where who is in control must be established. And this becomes um, especially true during these crucial years. Now, I know one of the questions coming up is like, you know, how can I be less controlling as a parent? When your child is young, you are in control. Because you tell them when they go to bed. You tell them what they're eating. You tell them when they're going to go to the toilet. You tell them that they've got to get ready. You've got to tell them they're going to pick things up. And uh, sometimes I see parents that are too afraid to actually be in control of their children because, oh, they might not like me. But this is the control years. And the parent's primary responsibility is consistency. And again, there's a, there's a real key in that one there, being a consistent parent and teaching the children who, uh, who is in control what the boundaries are and shaping the foundation of their worldview. Consistent, loving discipline is a must during the crucial development stage. The second one is the training years. This is age 5 to 12. Children's primary need is gaining understanding. So a little bit older now. To understand why, the, the why and the what of your family's values and expectations. Correction is still needed, but with more explanation. This age is crucial for the establishing with your kids a no-questions-is-off-limits policy that will also continue through the next season. The parent's primary responsibility is shaping worldview. How do you, or how does your child, fit in this world? Through teaching and training, questions and answers, and applying faith and truth to real-life situations. So we've gone from the training, now from the teaching, sorry, as little ones, to the training, to the coaching years. The primary need of the child is loving guidance. To be guided from the sidelines, to, to know the plays of how to practically live out their, uh, their faith. If done right in the previous season, this season is less of correction and discipline and more connection and depth in the, your relationship. This needs to be a season of guiding your children through many conversations. Parents' primary responsibility is practical practice. You've trained them. Now it's time to start nudging them towards the edge of the nest to test and refine their training and make sure they are ready to fly on their own in the future. If you have practiced the principle of more... Um, can I read that? went read. More control now, less control later. You may enjoy some early years of quality friendship in this stage. Now, with my boys, I did a lot of coaching. So I did soccer, rugby, and basketball. And one thing about a coach is that you coach them not in the game. You coach them from the sidelines. And so the coaching is done during the week. You go into the school and you do your coaching and stuff. And that's when you have input into their, into their sport. And then when it comes to the game, you're on the sideline. You can, you can yell encouragement, but you can't go out and play for them. And so this is a critical time. This is actually a really fun time, is watching your kids step out of the confidence that they've grown up in. And if you've done a good job as a parent, I can tell by the confidence of my kids. And one thing, you know, like I, I wasn't a confident teenager. But when I look at my boys, I've got confident boys. And it's like, mate, this is just cool to see them 
being confident like I wasn't. So between Kath and I, we, we stumbled and mumbled our way through and, and, and established a confidence in them, which is you know, so cool to see. So two of them are self-employed, three of them are self-employed, four of them, they're all, all self-employed. And the thing is, I think as parents, we want our kids to contribute to society, true? We want to we wanna see them you know, really um, add value to people's lives around them and, and, and uh, do well. Just as I forgot to say before too, my two oldest boys are Christian and married Christian girls and they um, got four kids each, two boys, two girls each um, and they, they're just so committed to God and it's such a joy to me to see that. Um, Andrew, our third one, he's away building his testimony but the one thing that I will say about that is that he's away He's still a nice guy. He's still just really good. His, um, his um, fiance was diagnosed with diabetes, I don't know, four or five years ago. Um, my dad was diabetic. We understand the disease quite easily. And, and he's the most kind, caring, loving partner she could possibly have when she's got diabetes. And it's just so good to see how caring he is. But as far as God goes, he was the one, he didn't come to my ordination because um, he says, oh, it's dad's thing. And then Matt, my, one of my other sons, said, Andy, what the heck are you doing? And he, afterwards, after he talked to him, Andrew says, I should have come because it was about dad, not about me. And sometimes when our kids drift away from the things of God, because Andrew was, until he was 18, he was in the church, you know, in the, in the band, and he was awesome, you know, he's just really committed. But when, when there's a drifting away, what happens if you've been growing up in a church, your kids are going to say, in order to stay strong and away from church, I need to be strong. And so mum and dad are not going to talk me into it. We don't talk about Christian things at all. They never ask about church or anything, or how we're doing spiritually or anything. Because it's like... There's a softness in their hearts that if they show any weakness, then they can easily come back to God. And then Tyler, um, he, he actually went, got really badly hurt, actually, in a relationship. And he's not anti-God. He's, just, um, he's, got, he's in another relationship now with a lovely uh, girl. And um, he's not far away, but his time is coming. He, again, you know, you know, you breathe the air that you're brought up in. And the, the kids, they, I've got something more to add to this later, but they, they don't... Um, they can't avoid it. My brother, you know, that everybody knows about, when he came back to God, you know, he was fighting to stay away from God until God got him again, and he came back stronger than ever. And the fourth one is the friendship years. These are the adult years. Children's primary need is space <coughs> to be allowed to experience their, their, their independence by making their own decisions. A hands-off approach from mum and dad. Unless they are still living at home, they are no longer responsible to you, even though you will still, have, uh, still be available to them as they need for wisdom and advice. And the parents', parents primary responsibility is support. You have helped them to develop character, responsibility, and a biblical worldview. Now it's time to watch them soar on their own. When they need to, be there, but not as a parent, but a friend. You've worked hard, so enjoy this. Um, to, uh, just on those four things, if you try and be a friendship at the wrong stage of life, you're going to stuff it all up. Your kids don't need you to be a friend when they're six or seven and you're doing everything you can because I just want the kids to be, you know, I want them to be my friend. We want to have a good relationship. No, your mum and your dad. The friendship comes later on when you've actually established the, the right um, roles in our lives. And I can genuinely say now that I'm, I'm great mates with my kids. And that, that kicked in in their teenage years. 
I never felt that I was an embarrassment to my kids because we, we kicked into that friendship level early, which is really cool. Here's some more scriptures. Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The message says this. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Crush their spirits. Doesn't that seem bad? We can crush our child's spirits. The way that we, we um, discipline, there's a few things that I've done as a father that I wished I could redo because I know that I might have been disciplining them, but in the discipline I crushed their spirits. And as parents, you know, like I was saying before, you know, your daughters look up to your dads, your sons look up to your mums, and then you do something that just hurts them. It doesn't just hurt them, it crushes their spirit. And as Christians, you know, they can look at, oh, okay, I don't like you. I don't like your God because I don't like the way that you handle that. Amplified says this. Fathers, do not provoke or irritate or exasperate your children. That's a good line right there. With demands that are trivial, unreasonable, or humiliating or abusive. Nor by favoritism. Look at Joseph. That didn't work for them very well. Or, or indifference. Treat them tenderly with loving kindness so they will not lose heart and become discouraged or unmotivated with their Spirit's broken. Oh, that's got spirit's broken on that one too. So it's about this broken spirit. We can break our, if we come across too angry, too mad, too, too down on our kids, we can break their spirit and then that relationship's broken. Ephesians 6 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And, the, and it says, pretty much we just said that what we said in the last one, but it says at the end, with loving kindness and the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so there's not just about doing things that are naturally abusive or, or wrong, but bring them up in the loving kindness and discipline and instruction of the Lord. Hebrews 12, 1. There's all stuff in the Bible, so you can read it anyhow, can't you? No dis, um, dis, discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. In Proverbs 12, 24, uh, 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one whom God loves, who loves their children, is careful to discipline them. How, how many people got to get all smack around the bum with a, with a, if you're under 20, you shouldn't put your hands up. <laughs> Kids, put your hands down, shivers. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was brought up in the era, I mean, uh, yeah, it didn't matter if it was a stick, a hunk of alkathene, um, Wooden spoon when I, when I was a little fella. Man, alkathene's a cool, oh, she's a good one. My brother-in-law used a bit of alkathene on his son because he said, what do you use? I said, I use a bit of alkathene. Just a wee short bit so you can't get a good swing on it. But uh, his kid went to sc- uh, school and says, oh, my dad hit me with a pipe. <laughs> and so, of course, flipping sips are on their doors and they're like, right, we're taking this kid away. And it's like, a pipe wasn't a pipe, it was just a piece of plastic. <coughs> so, yeah, but... Things have changed now, and the message says it in, a, in more of a PC sort of a way. It says, uh, refusal to correct your child is the refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. It doesn't say how. It just avoided the fact that you're not hitting them. So, but I, I, look, I look at some people in society, some of our youth and some of our young adolescents, and, and just see what's happening. I think, man, some of them could have probably used it. Good. Yeah. I'm 58, I'm a different generation, but I'd never say the wrong thing in a public space because it's online. Okay, Proverbs 29.15, a rod, oh, a rod again, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom. Well, that's a great way of getting wisdom into your kids. 
I did a bit of it. But a child left under discipline disgraces his mother. And then the message just says it nicely again. Wise discipline imparts wisdom. Spoiled adolescents embarrass their parents. So take, I hope you're taking lots of notes today. Okay, Kath was supposed to do this with me. I said to Kath, okay, you, we'll do 50-50. And then she's got COVID and recovering. She's out of isolation tomorrow. So Kath, this is your part now. I'll do your part. Take, take, take. Oh, I can't even say that. <coughs> I still got that. How, many, how long does this cough, this COVID cough last for? I can feel something not quite right inside my lungs. Okay, here's, here's a list of things that, um, Kath's really good at doing these sort of things, so she put this whole list together. But take photos of unspectacular moments. Okay, because of Facebook, we all take photos of the amazing moments. What about an unspectacular moment where your kids are just sharing something? Or just playing quietly over in the corner. And we just take, capture that moment. And it's like, just enjoy the moments with our kids. Second one, ask, are they being naughty or childish? Come on, how many of us have seen people get, you know, tell their children off for being childish when they weren't being naughty? They weren't being naughty. Okay, they, they might have spilt the drink all around the lounge. But it was just because they were excited about what's happening and they couldn't hold the cup still. Were they being childish or naughty? They're being childish. They didn't have self-control. Three, have a mindset that, that what can I learn from my children? You know, often there's learning um, as parents, you know, we haven't got it all together. We're still learning. And sometimes we see that, oh, that's good. What they're doing is good. I like that. That's a good idea. I, I can use that in the future. Laugh out loud with them. Laugh at them. Laugh at yourself. Calf's brilliant at this. When she laughs at herself, she cries. And the boys were always just, when mum got to the point where she was laughing so hard, she's crying. It somehow brought joy to them. Then I would start laughing at them, laughing at Kath, and we're all laughing because Kath's just crying. Um, she can't help herself. She'll do it now. If you get her laughing well, you watch her. She'll cry. It doesn't matter to them how you look. It matters how you love. Did one sink in? Catch them being good and tell them you like it. You know, how often do we like, hey, don't do that. No, stop it. It's like, man, you guys, look at you. You guys are amazing. What are you doing down here? Drawing, awesome drawing. I just seen these guys being really, really good. You guys are a real honour to your parents. You're just amazing. Instead of going, hey, are you awake? Keep your eyes open, Mike. Quite a big difference. If we catch our kids being good, then they want to be good more. Respect the dignity of your child and reprimand in private. This is a real key here, eh? In the moment, you go me up, and next thing, everybody's watching. But you can keep the dignity of your child by taking through next door and say, hey, look, that's not good enough. And it's not that awkward moment. You've probably all seen this happen. I mean, I've seen people in supermarkets lose their rag at their kids. And it's not that the kids necessarily... I suppose they are bad. They're doing some stupid stuff. Maybe rolling baked bean cans down the aisle. I don't know. But I've seen parents tell their kids off, not because they feel they should be telling them off. It's because they're looking, seeing other people look at them and they're embarrassed. So they look like they're doing the right thing by telling their kid off. And you can see right through it. It's, like you, it's about your embarrassment. It's not about your kid's um, behavior that you're responding. Uh, number eight is be ridiculous. Sometimes be random and surprise them with a skill. 
You know, sometimes you do something, like one time I was, I was on holiday and it was snowing at Hamner and, and the, you know, we couldn't go outside so we all started just drawing. So I picked up a piece of paper and started drawing and I drew this really nice picture of all the of mountains and trees, like that's what all I draw um, because it's, it's what I'm interested in. And Kath and the kids were all like, wow, Dad, that's amazing. And they were so impressed. To this day, they're still impressed that I can draw, but I don't think I've drawn another picture since then. Do their ideas sometimes, even if they're strange. You know, kids, I might get grandkids. Granddad, can we do this? And it's like, oh my gosh, really? But just do it anyway. It's their idea. They don't care. As long as you're doing it with them, it matters more that you do it with them than not do it because you think it's a strange idea. Number 10, parents, apologize, explain your emotions. Man, I've had to apologize to my kids when they're growing up so many times. I remember one time I belted James and, because he, he had hurt my younger son and, and I was just angry. And he ran outside in the dark and disappeared in the winter. Cold night, frosty night. And I'm like, I overreacted. I went to try and find him, I couldn't find him. And so about an hour later, I'm still out in the dark looking for him. Thinking, oh, flip, where's he gone? <coughs> And I realized that my emotions overflowed and I, I, I belted him hard and it hurt him. But it hurt, it hurt him in two ways. That one, I hurt him physically, but it hurt him emotionally because our relationship got damaged. And then finally, I'm out there, James, yeah. Oh, where the heck did that come from? He was sitting on the garage roof for an hour in the, in the winter because he felt so disappointed in himself, but I caused him to feel that. Explain the tough subjects until the questions stop. Age-appropriate answers. You know, it's like little Johnny comes home from school. Mom, mom, what sex? It's like, oh shivers, here we go. I knew this was coming. We're going to be talking about this. <laughs> And then the mum's like, oh, okay, um, well, how do I tackle this one here? And, and it's like, um, uh, what do you mean by that? Oh, they're saying that the girls are one sex and the boys another sex. So what does sex mean? Oh, oh okay. No, it's like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're a girl and you're a boy and that's what sex means. Yeah, we are different sexes. Awesome. <sighs> so sometimes, you know, when the questions stop, don't keep going. <laughs> Just answer that one question. You don't need to go any further. Dig yourself out of a hole. <clears throat> Does the mess really matter? You know, how many people, how many grandparents here are tidy freaks? <laughs> you know, you know when, when the, kid, the grandkids come around and it's like within 15 minutes, the house is a flipping shambles. And then when they leave, it takes you about two hours to tidy everything up. And say, how can these kids possibly do this to us? It's like, I feel like sometimes it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're finished with the pencils and the, and the, and the paper? Put them away, put them away, put them away, clean the table. Now we'll get the Play-Doh out. Now you're finished with the Play-Doh? Okay, put the Play-Doh away. Now go and play in the games room. You know, it's like, you know, the, 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 the organised person in me just comes in and goes, oh, what the heck. So I just got to think, I can, we'll, pick, we'll clean things up or get them to do it. Um, 13, uh, be affectionate. That goes without saying. Um, it's great being a granddad. Just, just get to be affectionate with all our grandkids again. They're just so awesome. Um, kids, rise to your expectations. You know, I, I just see it all the time. I see with our, our, um, our grandkids, our, the parents are really good. Okay, we're leaving now. Now pick up the toys. 
and they'll pick up the toys, most of them. They'll pick up the toys, and it's like the expectation is you've made a mess, now you clean up your mess, and your kids rise to the, to the expectation that this is what we do before we leave. But if you do it, then your kids are like, oh, I can make a mess, and the expectation is that mum and dad will clean it up, or grandma and granddad. Uh, 15, nurture the individual personalities and giftings. I talked about before. Our kids are all different. And, you know, like James is a farmer like me, and so we get on on that level. Um, Matt and Andy are both builders, um, and I, I like to think that I'm a sort of a, like a pretend builder. You know, I think we can have building conversations about cleats and rafters and, yeah, levels. And then Tyler's a musician. Well, apart from my day's song leading, you know, I don't know. And then um, 16, show them your relationship with God in everyday situations. How often do we bring God into our situations? Foundations of a, a healthy childhood is this, emotionally available parents, clearly defined boundaries, responsibilities, balanced nutrition, adequate sleep, because sleep is necessary for brains, and movement, lots of it, especially the outdoors. Uh, we used to, you know, in the winter it's raining or it's frosty and the kids are driving you crazy, four boys in one little house. Go outside, we've got things called gumboots and jackets and hats and gloves. Out. Get them outside. Creative games and space for boredom. Now the space for boredom is, like I, you know, it's easy as parents to go, oh, like my grandkids, are, especially the oldest one, eight-year-old, and then now my three-year-old, both girls, they go, Granddad! Can we do something? It's like, I don't know what to do. <coughs> so they want to play and do some sort of game. And, and it's like, look, we've just played a big game and now you want me to play another game. And it's like, well, what the hang? Um, just can't you do nothing for a while? And the thing is, that space of nothingness when there's nothing happening is when they get creative. And so if you just can say, hey, look, no, I'm just going to have a break now, have a cup of tea or something. Um, you just go and do something for yourself. Within a few minutes, they've made up a new game. There's new imaginations going. They've got more stuff out, and they're doing it. But often as parents, even grandparents, it's like we're so concerned that our kids, they've got nothing to do. Let them have nothing to do because it makes them get creative. Nigel Ladder says this, ABC, parents, grandparents, always have a plan. All behavior is communication. What are they saying? And calm, <laughs> you be calming. That's probably needs repeating, that one. Calm, <laughs> you be calming. <laughs> yeah. Here's some quotes. Pull a string and it will follow you wherever you wish. Push it and it will go nowhere. That was Eisenhower. It's more important to love than to be right. When you yell at your kids, they don't love you less. They love themselves less. And I've seen that with my boys, you know, the times that I have yelled at them. I've seen I've like almost crushed their spirit. I see that they're actually disappointed in themselves for upsetting me or making me angry. Threats that you don't carry through make children lose respect for you. How many of, how many of us do that? I, I was like that. Like, if you, if you keep doing that, I'm going to put you out of the car and you can walk home. And Kath's like, are you really? It's only Tikapo. Okay. Or maybe I'm not going to do it. Or, yeah, it's just like, if you don't eat that, you're not going to get any food all tomorrow. Are you, are you really going to not feed them tomorrow? Well, not, not really. Then says, why are you saying it? Well, it sounds like a good threat. And it's like, man, you know, what a, what a good one, eh? 
You know, there's a conviction thing right there. Let it go. Let's have quietness for, for 30 seconds. Don't use hopeless threats. That's the next one. Okay, The Father's Mandate. This is another book that uh, we, we read. Um, just says this, and there's a couple of things I want to point out here. Keeps his promises, routinely embraces his children, builds on God's words, be an encourager of the family, demonstrates ongoing love for his wife. That's really important. And cultivates a sense of family identity. Um, family identify. Who are we as a family? You know, what is your family? What, what defines you as a family? Now, it might be that you're into sport. It might be that you're into cars. It might be that you, you, you love going on holidays. And that's, you know, all my family things. It's always about holidays and good times together on the water or up in the snow, whatever. But I'm, I'm a good Scottish blood. And so we have these things called the, the Scottish crests or the, the crests of arms or whatever they're called. And this one here says, sands pure. Without fear. Without fear. That's the Sutherland um, clan saying, without fear. And so our boys, because they uh, had cases, they were like, okay, without fear, without fear, without fear. And so if they're jumping off a bridge into this lake and it's really, you know, it's like, they say, oh, shoot, that's a long way up. Without fear, no fear, no fear. Sutherland's, no fear. And it was like all the time, they're, they're always egging each other on, you know, when they're doing stupid things or jumps on a bike or something. And it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's no fear. And then they would actually push each other to do things they should not do. One time, Matt had a broken collarbone. And we were all up at uh, Castle Rocks, up at, um, in, at Craigieburn there. And, uh, you know, as a, f- a loving father, I don't like to have boring time. We have a good time. And so we'd jump in these big gaps with these big rocks and it's like, you know, I've got bigger legs than them, so I'd run and jump across, and then they'd jump across, and, and then, then they would say, hey, Dad, can we do this one here? Okay, so I'd jump across, and, you know, and if you fall, you fall into <coughs> quite, a, quite a gap. And then <coughs> they did one, three of them did it, and did this really tricky one. You had to actually land on the rock, and it was quite steep, and grip, and then climb up, and then Matt was going to do it, and I said, Matt, no, you can't do it. He says, oh, Dad. And the others are going, no fear, Matt, no fear. And I was like, no, it's not helpful. Stop it. And uh, in the end, I stopped him from doing it because I knew if he couldn't grip with his one dodgy arm, he was just going to slide down and could hurt himself badly. But to the point where I had to stop them from this no fear thing. Another time we were up at um, um, Arthur's Pass and we did rock hopping up a river. And these little punks are this size, you know, and I'm like jumping from rock to rock and over the water and stuff. And they follow me really easily. I thought, oh, I'm going to get you guys. So I just got a wee bit wider until they were slipping off the rock and into the river. And it's like, yes, yes. So you've got to do these things. And the first one, uh, uh, the other one is, is give his children freedom to fail. And Kath and I had a good argument, uh, good talk about that. Thanks, man, I'll do it actually. On this early in our parenting, Kath comes from a family that is like, you get it right, you don't waste things. You know that, Bev, don't you? You don't waste things. You're actually part of her story. Because you t- taught her that, yeah, you could do extravagant. And then uh, I came from a family that, give it a go. If it doesn't work, oh well, tried it. And so our two parenting styles come together. And our kids would like, for example, they, they would try and make a cake without following the recipe. And it's just a disaster. And it's like, Kathy would be like, why did you do it? If you'd asked me, you wouldn't have made a mistake and you wouldn't have wasted all the ingredients. I'm like, didn't work, did it? <laughs> and, and it would infuriate Kathy. It's like, oh no, they need to ask me. I'm right here. And I was like, but, yeah, but they know what doesn't work now. 
And so we had to have that conversation about, okay, our kids failing is not the end of the world. It doesn't look like us failing as parents if our kids fail. And so from then on, CAF was very good at um, realising that, okay, our kids are allowed to fail. Because in failing, we learn. In failing, we know what, we, what doesn't work and what does work. When we succeed, it's like, oh, it's great. But a lot of success comes from failure first. All right, now I feel like Dr. Phil. I'm going to go to some answers and questions. Now, this is not an exhaustive answer and in, in, in question session. This is just thoughts that I sort of come up with. I mentioned these to CAF as well. and we, Just thoughts that, just basic thoughts on parenting. And it's, um, hopefully it'll give you something to chew over. Um, I, don't, I guess you ask these questions because I don't know where these questions came from. Yeah. My parental models weren't great. How do I learn to parent really well? We parent out of our experience. If that wasn't good, then, we're going, then doing work on yourself first is a great start. How true. You know, it's like we can blame our parents for the way we are or we can change things for the way we are so that we can be better parents. Find a couple that you would be happy to speak into your life and, and into your parenting. That is one of the riskiest things that you'll ever do. Hey, if you ever see anything that I'm doing that you don't think's great... Hey, can you point it out? It's good at the time until you see something the kids are doing that's not great and you point it out and they don't want to talk to you anymore. But if you can find someone who can just speak into your, into your, your lives as parents, that can save a lot of drama. You know, there's often times that um, you know, I want to say something but I haven't got the, the jurisdiction or the, 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 I haven't got the permission to speak into a situation. It's like, oh, my kid's always crying. Says they're always going to bed at midnight. Get them to bed at 7.30. Then they won't be overtired. No, you don't understand. My kid's one that just stays awake all the time. No, that's not even there. We're always learning. How do I become, a less controlling, uh, be less, become less controlling of my kids? I sort of answered that one a wee bit before. When you are, your kids are young, you are in control. It's okay to be controlling because you are mum and dad. You're the boss. You pay the bills. You make the money. You give them their food. As the kids get older, the control transfers to them. So being a good parent means that there's the, at, it's the right timing of transfer of responsibility for them being in self-control. Good expectations and age-appropriate family responsibilities are a healthy expectation. You know, we, we expect things of our kids at different ages. Consequences are a natural teacher. I love consequences. When it doesn't work, you get it wrong, you stuff it up. The consequence is the teacher. You know, and sometimes it's just a looking at your kid. Didn't work, did it? Nah, that didn't work. Never doing that again. Next time I'm going to listen to you. It's good, good. We want our kids to follow Jesus as adults. What's one tip to help them achieve this? I like the fact there's one tip. Model it. I, I go on about this one a bit, I know I do. They follow what they see. Model it. You can't expect your kids to, to, to come into a church environment and serve and, and love. And, you know, Nikki and Ed Allens, I just want to honor you guys right now. You guys, Nikki, I hope you're at home. <laughs> All the attention's on you, Nikki. That you guys, you know, you've modeled what it is to serve, and your kids are in the church serving because they see it in your life. Now, if you want any more information on this subject, go and talk to Nikki and Ed. 
because they have done it and they've done it well and they're still doing it today. And the other thing is don't be religious, be real. Be real. How do I combat the feeling I've failed my children? Yeah, this is a hard one because sometimes, I feel this sometimes, it's like, you know, two of my boys aren't following God. But I just found this, I saw this somewhere on the internet, so I'll read this. As our children age, they will face many challenges and countless temptations. Some will stray from the church, some will stay. But know this, God will never stray from them. He who had claimed them as his own never unclaims them. Run from him though they may, he is the hound of heaven and he will dog them to the utmost ends of the earth to chase them home. We will fail in many, many ways as parents, but in one way we cannot fail. When we hand our children over to their dear Heavenly Father, that in reality isn't our action but His. He claims them, He takes them in His arms, and He blesses them with all the riches and grace of Jesus. What better gift could our child possibly receive? It's a hard one when you feel that you've failed your kids, but it comes to a particular age where they have to decide that I'm responsible for my life. But the thing is, have I given them everything that I could have as a role model and an example of what it is to follow God and relationship with God? Yes, I think I have. I could have done more, but I did enough. So therefore, that's in them. They can't forget that. As Lucky said, you cannot unhear things. If you're in the room, you cannot unhear things. If you're in the home, you cannot unhear things. And it's often, sometimes when our kids get older, you know, so mid-twenties, so maybe getting married, having their own children, all of a sudden the reality of the fact that I've got my own kids to bring up kicks in. And it's like, actually, I want to do this well. I want to do this right. I want to send them on the right path. And we see our kids come back into a relationship with God. My spouse and I can't agree on things like boundaries, punishments, rules with our teenagers. What can we do? This is your problem, not theirs. Isn't that good? Get away for a day or a weekend and talk things through. That's you, mum and dad, together. Because kids soon learn to play mum against dad and dad against mum. We've got to be on the same page. Uh, Danny Silk had a, I was just listening to him there a few months back, and it was quite good. He had a couple came into his counselling office, and they said, our kid is out of control. Our teenager is just a mess. They're into drugs. They're into this and they're, oh, everything's bad. And as they were talking, he says, so how's your relationship? And he says, oh, no, our relationship is oh, a little bit strained. And he said, no, it's about our kid. Our kid's out of control. He said, no, no, how, how, how are you guys getting on? And he pointed it back to them to the point where they were angry at him saying, it's not about us. It's about our kid. You, we come here to get help for our kid. And now you're talking about us. And they got angry and they started fighting each other. And he says, guys, this problem is not your child's problem, it's your problem. And then he walked them through the, a, a path for them to connect as parents, get on the same page. And when they met again a few weeks later, how's it all going? He says, oh, you wouldn't believe it. Our kid is amazing. Our kid's come back to God. Things have happened. They're, like, they're back again. So what changed? They both dropped their heads. It was our problem. Six. How firm do I need to be around getting my kids to church? We always said in our house, we do church as a family. It's non-negotiable. If you're in our family, you come to church on Sunday. I know some of you are going, oh, that's pretty tough. Hey, no, no, no. You're in my house. I feed you and I give you a bedroom. 
If you're in my house, you come to church. We do church as a family. And I know, I know, some, you know, there's going to be some different parenting styles here. But it's like uh, we set the standard when they're young. They're not going to argue when they're 15 or 16, because it's always been the expectation. But if you let them away with it when they're 10, you got a problem very quickly and very all the time. They can't stay at home when they're under 14 or 13 and under. So if your older kids are under 14, they've got to come with you. You can't leave them at home. There's, a, I think, it's a $2,000 fine if you get caught having kids at home under 14. At 16, they're classified as adults. So you can actually give them, like, as, okay, you're an adult now. The thing I'll say about that is often our, our kids' impressionable time is when they are pre-teen. That is a, a really sweet time. And if, if the standard is set then, they will stay with it. But if we try, muck around with the ages and start put, coming down hard on them when they're sort of 15 or 16, we're going to in trouble. Okay, how do I get my 10-year-old to develop their own faith independently from me? This is the best and easiest time to influence your kids. There's something about that age group. It's in between being a kid and being a teenager that is absolutely um, instrumental in them connecting with God. If you ask um, Kelly and, and Kendall what it's like having the intermediate youth group, you'll see what I mean. They're very, very pliable, very, very malleable at that age. And if we can do it right then, um, they'll, they'll come. Yeah, you just stand with them, uh, spend time with them, share your faith, be real. Just be normal. Don't be weird. Be parents that, Christian parents that they like to be around, and they will like you. They want to be where you are. They want to copy you. They want to imitate you. And the last one. Oh, sorry, this Dr. Phil session's going on. Eh? How do, do my spouse and I navigate our school's agenda around seemingly anti, anti-Christian teachings? Dre, can you answer that? <laughs> I'd love to have done that. The law of first instance. Have you heard of that? Who's heard of that? The law of first instance. Anybody heard of it? What this is, is the first time a kid hears the nuts and bolts on a subject... And here's your, your theology and your thinking on it. As kids, even at a young age, they accept that as the truth. And so you can talk about some really inf- complicated subjects, but if you talk to your kid first and establish with them, this is what it means. This is what evolution's about, creation's about. This is the difference. Well, this is about sex. We're going to talk about sex. This is, this, this is what it's about. This is what happens. This is girls, this is boys, blah, blah, blah. If you get in first, when your kid hears it next time, they go, no, 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 that's not right because mum and dad told me this. And somehow they hold on to the first hearing of it as truth. And it's way harder to shift them off that because they actually believe that because you're mum and dad and you told me and, you, and I felt really special when you told me. It's not about when you're ready to share. It's about when they're ready. You know, when, when I guess my boys are growing up, you know, you can sort of get into the teenage years, like, uh, it's time to have that talk. Now your kids are five or six and you've got to have that talk. And that scares the heck out of parents. And the age and stage and things of life, things have changed, things have got younger and you've got to actually have those conversations if you want to get in and have the, the law of first instance with your kid. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to wrap it up there. That's done. I'm done. I'm done. Um, I hope some of that's helpful to you. I hope that um, makes sense. Um, but just a few hot tips and Dr. Phil for you. Bless you guys.
Oh, perdón. <risa> 